Now, it's a common experience of mine. I have prayed. I have asked God for something. I know that what I've asked God to do is not even selfish. It's not grounded in anything selfish from my perspective. I know, actually, at some degree, it is the will of God. Yet God remains silent. He doesn't even give me an answer. He doesn't even respond to my request. And as the days pass, I start feeling ignored by God. I start feeling ignored by his silence, uh, his inability to move in that particular situation, his unwillingness, I see it from my perspective, for him to move. God feels silent. Uh, This is my experience, and it turns out I am not the only one who feels like this sometimes. Christian songwriter Andrew Peterson has also experienced it. Uh, He sings... Andrew Peterson, Elisha is asking. Andrew Peterson, uh, he sings about it in his song, The Silence of God. And here is what he says. He says, it's enough to drive a man crazy. It will break a man's heart. It will break a man's faith. It's enough to make him wonder if he's ever been sane. When he's begging for comfort from thy rod and thy staff, And heaven's only answer is the silence of God. It seems sometimes God is silent. Have you ever experienced the silence of God in your life? Perhaps you are in that season right now where you feel God is silent. You are asking him to speak in specific ways in your life. And God just feels remote, feels silent. Well, the good news is that we're not crazy. (laughs) I I, I was happy to know that I wasn't crazy when feeling like that. Because as I read through the Bible, we see that throughout the Bible, we see people who have experienced this moment of divine silence. All of a sudden, God stopped speaking. Now, we are currently studying the book of Judges. We are in Judges chapter 9. And two weeks ago, we saw Gideon die after 40 years as judge of Israel. And you remember two weeks ago that after his death, uh, his son Abimelech decides to kill 70 of his brothers. And he does that with the help of the leaders of Shechem. And immediately what Abimelech does is that he installs himself as king of Israel. Now you remember that Abimelech wanted to kill all 70 of them But one person escaped, Jotham. Jotham escapes, and while he escapes from Abimelech's sort of murder spree, uh, Jotham comes back to pronounce God's judgment on the leaders of Shechem and Abimelech. And we see that in verse 19 to verse 21. Let's just refresh ourselves with what Jotham said after giving his sermon of the parable of the trees. He says this. He's speaking to the leaders of Shechem. If you have then acted in good faith and integrity with Jeroboam, that is Gideon, and with his house this day, then rejoice in Abimelech, and let him also rejoice in you. But if not, let fire come out of Abimelech and devour the leaders of Shechem 
and Beth Milo. And let fire come out of the leaders of Shechem and from Beth Milo and devour Abimelech. And then verse 1 tells us this, And Jotham ran away and fled and went to Beer and lived there because of Abimelech, his brother. When we read Jotham's uh, pronouncing of judgment, that curse he pronounced on the leaders of Shechem, we are immediately expecting God to act instantly and remove Abimelech from power. But as time passes, Abimelech gets stronger. He is now even ruler over all Israel, not just Shechem. Look at verse 22 in front of you. Abimelech ruled over Israel for three years. Now, just imagine with me for a second you are in Jotham's shoes. How are you feeling right now? For three years, God is silent. Probably you feel fearful, impatient. You you are doubting, perhaps, did you get it wrong when you pronounced judgment? Was it just wishful thinking? You are genuinely puzzled on why God is silent in your life. That is how many of us feel when God appears silent. And the reason we respond like that, perhaps with doubt and impatience, is we forget that God is silent, yes, but he is never absent. And this is the key truth we learn from Judges chapter 9, verse 22 to verse 41. God is silently working to defeat evil in this world. God is silently working to defeat evil in this world. And this morning, I just want to share two important ways in which God is silently working in your life and in this world to defeat evil. The first truth we learn in this passage is that God is at work in ways we cannot see. God is working in ways your naked eye cannot see. Look at that. Abimelech has been king of Israel for three years in verse 22. Then we are taught that something is happening that we cannot see with our eyes. Look at verse 23. And God sent an evil spirit between Abimelech and the leaders of Shechem. This verse is telling us that the world is not just physical. It is telling us that we are not just a bunch of collection of atoms. It is telling us that there is also an invisible spiritual world that we cannot see, of course, because it is invisible. And in this spiritual world, there is a heaven and the angels of God. There is also hell, the devil, and all the evil spirits, principalities and powers. It is the world and sin. And most importantly, it's telling us that God is in charge over the physical world we live in and also the spiritual world that we cannot see. And it is telling us that God can even command evil spirits in the spiritual world to do what he wants them to do. Because he is directly in control over the physical world and the spiritual world. In this case, we see God directs an invisible evil spirit to make the evil leaders of Shechem 
rebel against their puppet king, Abimelech. Luke, our verse 23 continues. And the leaders of Shechem dealt treacherously with Abimelech. When you read that, you're thinking to yourself, this doesn't make sense. I thought the Bible says that God is not the source of evil. So what is this about God directing an evil spirit between Abimelech and the leaders of Shechem? You should ask such questions when you come to the Bible. And you are correct that God is not the origin of evil because the Bible tells us that God is not the author of sin. And notice carefully here the verse says that God sent the evil spirit. It does not say God has made the evil spirit. What this verse is telling us is that the spirit is already evil. God has simply exercised control over it and ensured that it does his bidding. In this case, the bidding it does is to punish a good thing, the evil leaders of Shechem and Abimelech. Look at verse 24. Why has God sent this evil spirit? In verse 24, we are told that the violence done to the 70 sons of Jerubel might come and their blood be laid on Abimelech, their brother, who killed them and known the men of Shechem, who strengthened his hands to kill his brother. The Bible here is reassuring you. It is saying that the evil that is happening in your life or the world around us is not outside God's control. The Bible says God never approves of any evil action, and yet evil is totally under his control. And even more amazing, God is somehow using even the most evil things in the world for his glory and for our maximum good, including the devil who is under his sovereign control. Now we cannot always see how God is doing this because most of what God does for us is happening in the spiritual world, even before it affects us. It's like this. It's like the anchor on a ship, isn't it? When you dislodge an anchor underneath there, when the storm is raging, the anchor is doing its work underneath there. You can't see the anchor, but it is working. It is working to keep the ship stable in the storm. And the spiritual world where God is operating is invisible to us, but God is working and is keeping our ordered life in this world in check. And we know this from my experience as parents. Some of the way you are working to build a future for your children does not happen at home where you live. Where does it happen? It happens at work. You're putting in the hours. The children can't see that. But you're working for them. We might say your workplace is that spiritual world, to draw the analogy. It's God's spiritual world where God works. And you, you, as a, you, know, you can't see what God is up to. But God is working in your life every day. Why am I belaboring this point? We need to remember that God is silently working in ways you cannot see when you open your newspaper. 
You need to remember this when you turn on the TV. You see, when we see the news, it's so easy for us to think God is absent. Godlessness has become a national asset in the UK. It's the number one UK national asset. Godlessness. It's not the God reserves at the Bank of England. It's godlessness. Immorality is a key part of our national policy. Pornography, abortion, same-sex marriage, three-parent babies, gambling, all supported by government policy. And of course, when followers of Jesus speak out against these issues, they often fear for their jobs, and recently I discovered they even fear for their university courses. In my inbox this week, there is a report from Christian Concern about Felix Ngole. Felix Ngole. He has been expelled from a university social course work. Social, course, social work course because he expressed his biblical beliefs on Facebook. The High Court this past week ex- upheld his expulsion from that university course. Christians are now being taught to shut up about their ethical views or face a bar from university courses. If you speak out, you might not get that education you desire. And of course, many Christians, including ourselves, have been praying for change to come in this country. We are praying for revival, for God to revive the land, for laws to change. And yet, if we are honest, it seems God is silent. Evil seems triumphant. But this passage says, there is no need to despair. You see, God may be silent, but he is at work. And he is at work in the spiritual world for us, in ways we cannot see. And if you are a follower of Jesus this morning, you already know this is true for yourself. Because you already know that God has already defeated evil for us in the spiritual world. Colossians chapter 2, verse 15 says this. He disarmed, that is Jesus, the rulers and authorities, and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in his cross. Paul writing to the church at Ephesus says this. He's writing to Christians, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 to 6. He says this. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, that is the devil, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedient, whom among we also once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Do you see what the passage is telling us? 
You can be confident that God is working in spiritual ways you cannot see in your life. Because he has already worked spiritually through the physical death of Jesus on the cross. He has already defeated the principalities and powers. So no matter what struggle against evil you are facing, in Jesus you must stay hopeful. God is working for you in ways you cannot see. That's the first truth this morning. Here is the second truth we learn here. God is not only working in ways we cannot see, we learn here that God is working through ordinary ways. Through ordinary words. Through ordinary words. The first impact of the evil spirit on the leaders of Shechem is that they set up bandits to rob Abimelech and his people outside Shechem. Look at verse 25. And the leaders of Shechem put men in ambush against him on the mountaintops. So the evil spirit is at work and, and it causes these guys to put men in ambush against Abimelech. And verse 25 goes on and says, And they robbed all who passed by them along the way. And it was taught to Abimelech. We are seeing here that Abimelech is no longer safe in his backyard. It's a very big embarrassment to the king. A king who can't even go to his hometown now. It is a serious insult to his ego. And things get worse now for Abimelech because Gal and his company are roaring into town. Look at verse 26 to verse 27. And Gal, the son of Obed, moved into Shechem with his relatives. And the leaders of Shechem put their confidence in him. And they went out into the field and gathered the grapes from their vineyards and trod them and held a festival. And they went into the house of their God, that is Baal, and ate and drank and reviled Abimelech. This, this bad guy is like one of those cowboy movies. Just when you think things can get worse, this girl, the son of Obed, rose into Shechem with to a thunderous welcome. And he's already calling shots, and Abimelech now is completely abandoned, because that's what verse 26 tells us. And the leaders of Shechem put their confidence in him, that is, Gal, the son of Obed. Abimelech has been completely abandoned. We should note in passing here that sinners are only loyal to themselves. When something happens, something better comes along, sinners always abandon us. They are quick to jump ship. God, the son of Obed, has come and they have jumped ship. I think of people who abandon God to live in a sinful relationship. They exchange trust in Jesus who died for them for trust in another sinner. And for a while, it goes okay. Just like it was going okay for Abimelech and the leaders of Shechem. But in the end, we see here that sinners we trust always let us down. And we suffer terribly for it. Listen to me very carefully. God will not be mocked. You cannot flirt with the flames of hell and not be burnt by them. You cannot flirt with the flames of hell and not be burnt by them. 
And we see here that God wastes no time to assert his power. And after a few beers under his throat in Bell's bar, he now gives a pitch for the top job. Look at verse 27 to verse... Look at verse 28 to verse 29. And Gael, the son of Obed, said, Who is Abimelech? And who are we of Shechem that we should serve him? Is he not the son of Jerubel? He's playing the rest card. And he says, Is not Zebu his officer? Zeb is probably very corrupt. Serve the man of Hammer, the father of Shechem. But why should we serve him? Would that these people were under my hand, then I would remove Abimelech. I would say to Abimelech, increase your army and come out. Now the current leader of Shechem is hearing this. If you are Zebu, you are hearing what God, the son of Obed, is saying in the bar, if you like. And you're wondering, what's going on here? My job is on the line. So you become alarmed at what you're hearing. So you quickly get on the message. Look at verse 30. When Zebu, the ruler of the city, heard the words of Gur, the son of Obed, his anger was kindled. And verse 31 tells us that he quickly gets on the phone to his boss, Abimelech, to let him know what's happening. And he said, and he sent messengers to Abimelech, verse 31, secretly, saying, Behold, girl, the son of Obed, and his relatives have come to Shechem, and they are stirring up the city against you. Now, therefore, go by night, you and the people who are with you, and set an ambush in the field. Then in the morning, as soon as the sun is up, that's early in the morning, rise early and rush upon the city. And when he, that is girl, and the people who are with him come out against you, you may do to them as your hand finds to do. Abimelech, of course, hears this message. He quickly swings into action. He is off to Shechem, probably, I would say, about 3 a.m. in the morning. Look at verse 34. So Abimelech and all the men who are with him rose up by the night and set an ambush against Shechem in four companies. He's following from his dad's lead, uh, Gideon. This is how Gideon used to work. Uh, he's working there. He set up these men around Shechem so that he could surprise them. Early in the morning, he could attack the city. And of course, girl, son of Obed, has no idea what is happening. Uh, he's probably arrived early in the morning, we would say about 6 a.m. in the morning. He gets up, arrives at the city gate, probably, you know, sipping on these sort of Shechem Starbucks uh, and, you know, with a bit of toast. Uh, everything looks well. Everything looks well in his world. And then he notices something. Look at verse 35 to verse 36. And Gerard the son of Obed went out and stood in the entrance of the city. And Abimelech and the people who were with him rose from the ambush. And when Gerard saw the people, he said to Zebu, Look, people are coming down from the mountaintops. And Zebu said to him, You mistake the shadow of the mountains for men. You almost want to scream here to, to, to girl, the son of Obed. Look, you're asking the wrong guy. Why are you asking Ebu about the men who are coming down from the mountain? That is the wrong person to ask. He is not with you. But you see here that girl is completely oblivious to the danger. Look at verse 37 to verse 38. Girl spoke again and said, Look, people are coming down from the center of the land. 
and one company is coming from the direction of the diviner's orb. And Zebu said to him, probably he's been practicing this line all night, he says, where is your mouth now? You said, who is Abimelech, that we should serve him? And not these the people whom you despised? Go out and fight with them. Now at this point, this is actually a trick. Zebu wants God to go out there to fight outside the city gate so he can leave the city behind. He knows that Abimelech is waiting there. But he doesn't get it. He's completely oblivious. He, he falls for it. Look at verse 39 to verse 41. And girl went out at the head of the leaders of Shechem and fought with Abimelech. And Abimelech chased him and he fled before him. And many fell wounded up to the entrance of the gate. And Abimelech lived at Aruma, and Zebu drove out girl and his relatives so that they could not dwell at Shechem. Zebu is now back in control of the city, but no one wants him. And we see here that Shechem now is under Abimelech's control, but not totally under his control. He's divided. And the city has many people now that are wounded. The evil spirit has done part one of the job to seriously weaken Abimelech. Abimelech now is a weak leader running a weak government. He has won some victory, but not enough to govern. He can't even stay in Shechem. Where is he staying? We are told Abimelech lived at Aruma in verse 41. No one wants him. Now imagine with me for a second, you are our John Simpson. You are covering this civil war for the BBC, and you are going around Shechem interviewing people. You know, the BBC war correspondent, the man who liberated Kabul, John Simpson. You are there, you know, going around, you know, covering this, 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 this crisis. You are interviewing people, and you want to know, how has this happened? How has the civil war come about? I suspect the political pundits of Shechem will give you a lot of reasons. They will tell you, you know, girl, you know, just corrupt. Everyone equally corrupt. It's a complete mess, you know. They'll give you lots of reasons. But one thing they won't tell you, you're not likely to hear, is the name God. There has been no prophet here who has appeared. God is completely silent. And it seems all of this is just happening to naturally. But you know your Bible, so you've read verse 23. You know verse 23 makes it clear that God is working here in ordinary ways, in the background, in ways that you cannot see. And that should immediately give you pause for thought. Because you see, all of us have a natural tendency to think of God's power in terms of miraculous interventions, signs and wonders. When we pray for God to act, we want to see rapid progress, revivals, instant results, thousands coming to the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, we love a dramatic testimony of changed lives. And God certainly does that from time to time. 
But the normal way in which God works is through ordinary means, through ordinary providence. And it is usually gradual, so gradual and so slow sometimes that we can't even see him at work. And it's a gradual we see here. And we see this actually throughout the Bible. One of my favorite books of the Bible is the book of Esther. You won't find God even mentioned once in Esther. And yet we know God works through these divine coincidences to serve his people. Why do we need to remember this? Because we are preoccupied with such dramatic, miraculous ways of God. And the reason we are preoccupied with such and we miss the ordinary is that we struggle to appreciate how God works. And because we struggle to appreciate that God uses ordinary means, we never appreciate him when he's at work. Often in our lives, we're not giving him thanks for things he's already doing because we want to see dramatic changes. And what often happens is that if you are praying for God to act in your life, you don't realize God is already at work in ways you can't see, and you don't realize God is using ordinary gradual means, so you stop praying. You stop praying for yourself. You stop praying for a particular person in your life. But this passage is saying to you, yes, sometimes it feels like, you know, God is saying, yes, sometimes it feels like I am silent. But I am working in your life and in the lives of other people you know through ordinary ways. Now, I don't know what situation you are currently facing where you feel God is silent. Maybe you are a parent who is anxious about your children's future. You're praying for them to come to know God. Maybe you are a husband who has been praying for your wife to change and you can't see any miracles yet. So you feel like giving up. <coughs> Maybe you're struggling with a particular sin in your life. You keep repenting and you, you know, like that Chumbawamba song, you get knocked down, you're up again. You know, when we feel, when we are going through such situation, they can leave us feeling empty, isn't it? We can start wondering whether the change will ever come. As the person I prayed for to be saved ever, will they ever become saved? Is the change we want to see in the church ever come about? It is easy for us to get discouraged. And the devil, of course, is always on hand to whisper in our ears. You come to us and says, this is too difficult for God, perhaps. He says, you are all alone on this one. God cannot help you. You are on your own. God is completely silent. I want to suggest that that is all lies from Satan. The truth is that God is actually, for those in Jesus, never silent at all. Why? Because God is always speaking to you in his word, the Bible. And God already lives in your heart. And more than that, in the Bible, God says to us that our prayers to God are already part of his ordinary work. Do you know something about prayer? The Bible says when we pray, it is not us who actually pray. It is the Spirit himself who prays in and through us with groans too deep for words. 
So the Spirit is already working in your heart in an invisible way. And the Spirit is the one who has put the burden to pray for your husband, to pray for your wife, to pray for your child. He's already working through the ordinary means of prayer. Now God sometimes feels silent. We've seen. But he's working in ways you cannot see. And he's working in ordinary ways. I don't know about you, but when I reflected on this truth, I realized that this changes everything. Now I know that God is silent working. It is moving me from doubt and despair to curiosity and expectancy. I have stopped asking, God, where are you? I am now asking, I wonder what you have to on this issue. I wonder how you will surprise me with an answer here. Though this seems difficult. The change we're longing for in this person is hard. But Lord, I can't wait to see you work. I can't wait to see how you will surprise me with prayer. And that means my walk with God now has become an exciting journey of discovery. And I want to suggest to you this morning, this is what God invites us to in Jesus. And he's asking us to take him up on it. He's asking us to recognize that, yes, he may appear silent, but God is at work in ways you cannot see, and is at work through ordinary and gradual means of providence. So take him up on it. That's the action for this morning. This evening, we'll discover how God finally fulfills Jotham's case. Just how will God do it? And what lessons does that hold for our lives? And where is Jesus in all of this drama? Well, all will be revealed this evening. But for now, here is a question to ask someone sitting next to you over lunch. As you discuss many other things, perhaps this is a question you could ask someone over lunch. How have you seen God work in ordinary ways in your life? How have you seen God work in ordinary words in your life? Well, if you are sitting next to me, I shall certainly ask you that. So I look forward to hearing your answer.